Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let me see. I'm John Verhoeven, and I've worked as a cop. I was in forensics. I was in the air wing, world class, and I was a New South Wales firefighter, top shelf. Have I... have I left anything out? No, nope, that's all I did. Oh, wait. When my dad and mum were exhausted from too much death, destruction and adventure after years in the emergency services, they did something totally normal. They decided to run a funeral home. In this season of Loose Units, you'll find out what it was like to grow up with parents who ran an actual funeral home, prepared bodies, dealt with grieving families, and who confronted death on a daily basis. It'll be harrowing, thrilling, and loose. Welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious. Every week, I sit down with my dad, who used to be a cop, then a firefighter, and apparently he also ran a funeral home, which is which is pretty stressful. So every week I sit down with dad and we try and get to the bottom of what he lived through in his incredible series of jobs. And this season we've been looking at dad's time running Kinsella Funeral Homes back in the 90s. And look, dad, this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a little while. So in Electric Blue, which is the book I wrote about your time in forensics and uh, it's in stores now. And just very, very quickly, I know lockdown's happening and in Victoria, most stores are closed, but The other day, I walked past my local bookstore, and there in the window, at head height, was Electric Blue in the window, and it was really touching to kind of walk past my local bookstore and see my second book in there. Um, But in Electric Blue, one of the things I did, Dad, as you remember, was I didn't realize or remember that you ran a funeral home. I didn't actually remember that. I blocked it out. Partway through the recording sessions for the interviews um, for Electric Blue, you just sort of mentioned in passing that oh, you remember the funeral home you worked at. And that's sort of the key premise of this season is that I blocked all this stuff out. I was around for it, but I didn't remember any of it. Um, And during the recording sessions, you told me this insane story. And it's the story that really triggered this whole season. It's this story about you dealing with something which I would call a catastrophic crisis during your time at the funeral home, a couple of years in. So we've kind of reached the point where this story happens. Now, it's technically in Electric Blue, But what I thought might be nice was to kind of get at the story behind the story because what a lot of readers and listeners hopefully know by now is that Electric Blue is basically, it's it's a story based on true events. It's, you know, John in the book is is quite different to the real you and the events have kind of been played with and messed with and mashed up and, you know, it's the Hollywood treatment. So I thought it'd be really exciting to take that story and have you tell it to the audience and really just get to the story behind the story. Um, You know the one I'm referring to, don't you? So this story is one of the most stressful things. And honestly, we were going to do it earlier in the season, but you 
you understandably felt like it was a little bit intense, but I think, would you agree that now is the time to tell the story? Yes, yes, but it's it's one of those stories of all the stories in the funeral industry that I dealt with, this is the one that has the greatest moral uh, sort of conflict in my own mind. Yeah. I have continually toed and froed. Do people say toed and fro? Toed and fro sounds like a Japanese, like a German. It sounds like a German word. No, that's Schadenfreude. Uh, it sounds toed and... Welcome to toed and froder. It sounded weird, but you know how you to and fro? Yeah. Is that what I said or did I say toed you said you'd, I, I, You said you, you toed and froed. Yeah. All right. Well, look, it's been, it's been a veritable tug of war. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, over many, many years. And Paul, weirdly, you know how you said you've blocked out um, a lot of the funeral time as you were a child? Yeah. Well, I've read your latest book twice. And just prior to going on air this morning, you mentioned this story. And I've read your book, as I just said, twice, cover to cover. Mm. And I could not remember that story, and that proves to me beyond a reasonable doubt that I almost kind of wish I'd never told you the story and you actually made me go to the book just then and there it was in black and white, mm. this, this story. So that gives you, that's an example, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, of how the mind can block, things, into, out. block things out. Yeah. I mean, so, seriously. Are you, are you saying that you've done with this story what I did with the entire exactly. funeral business? So yeah. it's entirely possible that we are very similar in that respect and that our brains, once they reach a certain level of trauma, just sort of block shit out. Um, but you did sort of... I remember you you did express concern and consternation at the prospect of this story being in the book, but everyone who's read the book has gotten in touch... Uh, everyone who's read the book and has gotten in touch tends to mention this chapter as one of the most affecting. So clearly it's it's done something to people's brains. Mm. Um, and I mean, we did debate whether it was okay to talk about, but as you said this morning, it's in black and white, like it's in the book. And mm. I, think it's, I think it's really important to, you know, try and explore the story behind the story. It might also be really useful for uh, listeners and readers to hear... You know, to hear your side of the story this many years on. And for those of you who haven't read the book, I don't think this constitutes a spoiler. If anything, what it'll do is you'll read the book version and go, oh, okay, this is like a, this is an interesting interpretation of the of the true story, you know, John told that fateful day. Um, now, just a, a caveat, I check with listeners all the time to see how they're feeling. Are you okay to tell this story today? Um, yeah, I'm okay. Um, I there's a slight bit of the story that um, I'm not going to say that I'm ashamed of the particular part of the story that listeners will hear toward the end of it, but mm. it's still um, I'm conflicted okay. by by this story. But anyway, let's start. Um, so it's I'm, the 90s, right? It's the in the 90s. Yeah, and this at this point, I remember I do have faint memories of what what the world was like at that point, but. Again, I don't remember. Um, I, one of my one of my prevailing memories is is seeing Bill Clinton on the TV a lot. I don't know if this was, I don't know where this was situated around the um, the um. There was a conflict the, in um in Europe. Yeah, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Yeah, okay. It's pretty heavy. 
Mm. Um, and parts of it had um, sort of brought back a lot of memories from uh, the Second World War in terms of, uh, you know, camps. Um, and I received a call because the even though I wasn't uh, living at the, the funeral home, yeah. You know, we had a we had our own private residence. Was that on the table at one point? Did they offer to have us move? Oh in? yeah, yeah. We could have all moved in there. Like Seriously? The yeah, like the Adams family. <laughs> which would have been Christine and I just thought, no, nah, we're not look I mean lots of other families around the world grow up in um in um funeral, funeral homes. homes. Lots of families end up in funeral homes one way or the other. Yeah. And Paul, do you remember that? friend of mine, Dita. Yes, I do. I do remember Dita. Mm. Yeah. Well, Dita grew up in the grounds of um, a very famous mental institution in England. And um, his father was the leading forensic psychiatrist for the Crown. And the father worked on some of the most terrible, horrendous murders in British legal history. Uh, the most infamous or one of the most infam- infamous being the Moores murders. Oh and um, Dita's dad worked on that particular case and he actually got to interview the male and female murder murderers yeah and um and i think and with great respect to my friend Dieter, um i think that had an effect on him the whole growing up in a mental institution uh, so i think christine and i made a conscious decision not to uh to take barry up on that offer because it would have been it would have affected us psychologically I to think be so. around but yeah, i mean I, I, even being on the grounds of the of the funeral home, because Mum told me at one point she remembers me playing in the in the front yard while you guys were at work. I mean, I've blocked that out. I can't imagine what it would have done to my brain to actually have lived there. Mm. Look, it's a very unusual. It's a great. It opens up a can of worms mm. um, in terms of um, you know children's experiences. But um, what happened was we were living um, many many kilometres away, but the phone at night time was. Re- rerouted or rerouted to yep. to our home phone number, so people would call us. And I remember I received a very very traumatic uh, call about two in the morning from um, a woman I would describe as middle aged, and she was um, bawling, crying, obviously um, in a lot of um, deep anguish and suffering, and. Um, she explained that her son, um, well, she basically just said, look, my son's just come back from um, a conflict in Europe. Yep. And would we be able to go out to Kingsford Smith Airport and um, pick up his remains? And she didn't specify. So I, I'd already assumed that it was going to be uh, her son in a coffin. But, I mean, you've picked up, at that point, you'd gone to airports to pick up bodies before that would imply, right? Mm, but I so, needed to stress to her that if mm. we did this, she was basically committing herself to yep. getting our funeral home to, to run the whole show. So, well, obviously, I mean, you wouldn't... She's contacted you, you go and get the body, you don't then give the body to another funeral home. This is like the beginning of a business transaction, basically. Correct, correct. Okay. However, um, what happens is after hours, um, and here's a little... Uh, not actually a little, it's a hint for, for everyone out there, and it might sound a bit morbid, but if somebody passes away after hours, if you're going to call a funeral home, it might be a good idea to say, look, I'm just phoning around to get a quote, because generally funeral homes will have one set of price for during the day, working hours if you walk in, Yep. and they might have another 
set of figures um, hypothetically that might be somewhat reduced because they actually want your custom and they don't want you to go on to the next people. So mm-hmm. there's, there are two sort of, we used to have two, uh, two sets of numbers. So I'd already had to explain to her, I had to gather as much information as I could over the phone, talking yeah. through her sobs and cries and the fact that I'm half asleep. Yep. So what happened was um, the next day we organized to drive and we took the hearse because we had made the assumption that mm-hmm. it was going to be a coffin um, and we we go out there and weirdly, uh, and this is quite surreal, Paul, and that is that we were given a very large box and it it weighed a fair bit and I shook the box because it always intrigues me as to what's inside a box and it made a really weird sort of a, like a, a rattling sort of clunky, it was a really hard to describe sound, but there were obviously things inside, hard things yeah. inside this box. Um, and then we go back to Kinsella Funeral Homes in uh, in Narrabeen, mm-hmm. and then I met up with uh, the mother, and she explained to me that to have had her son's body brought back to Australia in a plane, she would had to have had the body embalmed because you have to be embalmed prior to flying so oh you can't have a body decomposing on a plane is no, what you're saying. No, right no. okay that makes sense so yeah. they've gone all right so if you want your son back you're going to have to do x procedure that's right okay so the family organized to have the son cremated in a particular country in europe mm-hmm. and then the remains flown back to Sydney and then we would be able to organize to have the it became apparent then that it was obviously we were talking about the son's ashes now this son the family's son he'd been he was in his 20s and he had uh, gone over to fight in this conflict yeah and he had been killed in action Um, however I believe that it was a conflict that was not sanctioned by the Australian government. So there were sort of people heading off overseas to mm. to, uh, to engage in um, certain activities. Uh-huh. Um, but then, and the reason I say that, Paul, is that if it had been a, um, a military operation where there had been um, Australian soldiers... Uh, the involved. government would have flown him back, or they would have done. They and he, and he he would have more than likely had a um, you know, a sort of a a funeral with honours, so to speak, but in the Australian flag, etc. But none of that um, happened because of this okay. particular conflict. Okay. And um, so I was confronted with this large box. I would describe the box as perhaps one that would hold at least a dozen bottles of wine. And um, but I knew according to the family, that these were the cremated remains of their son. Now, having just been through the process myself with my father and having had a lot to do with the cremation process, Mm -hmm. what happens is that once the body and the coffin, most of the coffin goes up in smoke, uh, all the skin and the organs, the brain, everything just kind of, because we all know that the body's, primarily made up of, of water, yeah. it all just um, dries out and you're left with um, a skeleton that to a fairly large degree collapses in on itself. 
And uh, after that process, they then open up the oven. They then reach in with this scoop and they pull everything out into a mm-hmm. container. They then get that container. They then put that into a machine. And in that machine are these um, steel balls. And they go in with the very, very coarse, the bones, the big, the big chunks. Mm. And they all go in together and they grind the said skeleton into, um, I won't say a powder. I have described it, I believe, once before as like kitty litter. Yeah. Um, so it's Which fairly... was a, yeah, okay, so it's coarse. Coarse, right? yeah, coarse. Yeah. And um, then that is decanted into a relatively small container. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned a few weeks ago, my father's container, I was very surprised at how heavy, how heavy it was mm. um, because there is a fair degree, and obviously if you're talking children and, well, dare I say it, you know, infants, it's going to be pretty tiny. It's not going to weigh much. But on this particular occasion, it was a big box. So with some trepidation, I remember, I, I remember it was in the morning, I remember the sun coming through the window, I was working on a bench next to all the hearses and, and all the cars, um, I was by myself and um, I very, very gingerly began to, with a Stanley knife, cut the tape. Now just to be clear, this is the box that was making a weird rattling noise, right? A weird rattling noise, the one that the, uh, you know, the mother... Had um, had insisted uh, contained the remains of her deceased son, who supposedly had been um, cremated, and then and one had made the assumption mm-hmm. that he'd been um, you know ground up pretty well. Yeah. Um, and when I opened the box, what I saw were well, one of the first things I saw was an entire jawbone with teeth and then i began to realize there were large chunks of bone this mother's day celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue nile whether it's for your mom a mother figure or yourself as a mom find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
they hadn't if that was their idea in this particular country of what they do i mean maybe they have very large containers uh, a lot lot bigger than the ones we have in australia because we do um sort of grind them down a fair bit mm-hmm. uh, might i say paul and listeners that we we spoke about kitty litter in terms of the size of the of the skeleton the skeletal remains but yeah. i i imagine and it's it's all to do with time constraint but you could take that to the next level and just grind and grind and and process it and turn it into like flour i imagine it could be could be that fine and and the and the more and the finer it becomes um the less air particles between each piece and then you could probably end up perhaps putting it into a um imagine a small pack of flour you buy at the supermarket it could be in a container that size so and that's all. the and that's the person but in this case you've got I mean, I guess that one of the questions is, and if you've read the book, you probably were asking the same questions. Why didn't the people at the other end actually do this properly? And what process did they undertake? Look, it's a, it's a great question, Paul. The impression that I get um, yeah. is that I, I, my gut feeling, because I was the guy that actually got to view the said remains, the impression I get is that it never, ever went near any machine. I have a feeling, based on what I saw is that they cremated the body and didn't do a very good job just of the cremating, but also I think they may have used a hammer, maybe a big hammer, maybe a small hammer, and individually smashed the various bones, skull, etc., and just kind of chopped, not chopped, but smashed. But there was no way there was a machine involved in this process. Um, because and another thing that was quite surreal at the time were or was that the bones that I was actually looking at they all looked they had a green tinge about them, quite a noticeable green tinge now if it, if there's anyone out there that that knows why that would have happened um, in my opinion that happened during the cremating process. It is also possible listeners that they didn't cremate the body properly. So it's kind of almost a cremation and then they've got this skeleton. There's no way that skeleton went into a machine. Not a how chance. did you how did you feel looking into this box at this at I I don't want to say cremation, but partial cremation, partial smashing of this of the again, this this young man died fighting for a cause he believed in. He's mm. been flown across by his on the on the behalf of his mother who's clearly grieving and entrusted to you and you open this box and it's just ruination so how did you do you remember how you felt at the time well i'd already seen the photograph of the sun yeah the way he used to look and believe you me he didn't look like him now Mm. i just had this vision of someone had just gone to town with a skeleton and bashed it up with a perhaps bashed is too strong a word because that implies a bit of something a bit creepy but um had you had I, i get the impression that this was a makeshift cremation. It could have been done on the war field. They could have had... Look, I, I just don't know how they did it. They could have done it with... Oh, look, I don't know. But the green, how do you just... How do, what's this with the green tinge on all the... I mean, I think there's a certain way you die, and I'm thinking whether it's maybe cyanide or one of those deadly chemicals actually gives the bone a green hue. 
And there's probably someone out there that might be able to help us out with that. But, I mean, did they dip them in some type of uh, acid bath or... <sighs> Mate, I, I've got no idea. But this, I was confronted with a box of um, body parts. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you what, if I had have... If you had have given me, I reckon, half a day, I could have put the body, the body back together. No, not the whole body, of course, not the skin, because that would be funny. Not funny, but but I think I could have reassembled the skeleton. Isn't that amazing? That much, so th- there was that much of it left. There was um, that much of it left. But, some, but there was some cremated remains in the box, right? Yeah, down the bottom there were a few little, like... Um, but no, it was basically chunky. In yeah. fact, if, if if all the listeners would like to um, open their hands and imagine what you could put bone-wise into the palm of your hand, mm. that was the average size. Um, the whole thing was, quite frankly, disturbing and distressing. But the family had provided me with a very beautiful um, canister for... The ashes. Okay. Now they had no idea what was going out on, going on in the uh, in the back shed, so to speak. They didn't know. They what they wanted me to do was decant their son's ashes, in brackets, chunks of bone, um, into this lovely container that they had, and they even had a little plaque on it, with his name on it. So I was in a situation where I had nowhere to turn. I mean, I guess what I could have done in hindsight, um, I could have taken the box of bones up to the northern suburbs crematorium, Mm -hmm. which would be super weird and not cheap and possibly the first and last time this would ever have been done and somehow or other got someone up there probably after hours, to put the skeletal remains into the, into the, the grinder. And, and, re-cre- and, and, re-cre- and re-grind, yeah. re-grind. Yeah. And just but, pulverize this box of big bones that I had mm. to condense them. But you would have had to, in order to do that, you effectively would have had to, as is my understanding, tell this grieving woman what these people had done to her son's body. Precisely. Which would have added further like a, trauma. Further trauma, right? Yep. So I made a uh, a decision that that fateful day, and I took um, steps to do the best I could. And those steps are that I held up the box. Um, prior to that, I'd opened up the the lid on this canister, mm. and I began to gingerly shake and slowly decant the bones into the small container. Now, can I give you and the listeners a small analogy, Paul? Because, you know, I love analogies. You do. Imagine getting a um, a schooner of beer or anything Mm -hmm. and decanting that entire amount of liquid into... An egg cup. That was my, that was basically my my problem. It just wasn't going to work. Hang on, you obviously 
I mean, you can't give someone an urn with the ashes of their son with bits of bone in it. Like, you ca- you cannot ah, do now, that. Paul, excellent question. Yes, you can. Because once it's sealed, it's never opened again, hopefully. But what if, what if, but what if it rattles when they move it around is what I'm saying. Look, uh, my objective... Yeah. And I please, listeners, don't think the less of me, any less of me. Um, I say that with some... some Re- resignation. Yeah, but I mean, because I don't want people to go... John, you actually lost the plot that day. Sure. Um, but I could quite easily, again, in you know, with some of the traumatic experiences I had at Kinsella's, I could easily have just handed my resignation in to myself and um, and just walked away and thought, you know what? And, and look, this was one of those stories, Paul, that kind of was, dare I say it, one of the nails, one of the final nails in the coffin. Because <clears throat> you, you can only handle this shit so many times yeah yeah and i i was confronted with a with a moral dilemma i mean do i decant the 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 chunks of bone into the receptacle receptacle mm-hmm. um and seal it and then present that to the family and then give them another box of bones i mean so i decided not to so what i decided to do is that i actually I'd started pouring the bones into the small container. I then thought, stuff this. So what I did, I actually poured those bones that I'd already put it into the small container back onto the bench. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd cleared the bench. I made a, made a really, really nice um, sort of workstation. Yep. And I put the entire contents of this lad out in front of me, okay. spread out. And I then began to pick all the tiny bits um, and I decanted those gingerly. In fact, didn't decant, basically placed them in one by one. So I got all the the small bone particle and I began to fill and then press down, fill, press down. um, Sort of, I used a dustpan, clean one might I add, Mm -hmm. um, to sort of scoop some more of the finer dust and then I'd sprinkle that. And and I basically compacted as much of the person as I possibly could into the container. And then I sealed it. Any questions? Yeah, isn't that going to rattle? No, because I, I compressed it really, really well. But Paul, I, when I said any questions, I was hoping you'd say, but Dad, what about the rest of the skeleton? Okay, but Dad, what about the rest of the skeleton? Because um, I, mean, I mean, there's all these kind of philosophical arguments here about what constitutes a person and... and w- you know what I mean? Like, is the, is the person actually sitting there in front of you on the bench or is it important that some of the person remains because the fact is a lot of the person gets burned away during a cremation? Very, so, Mate, Paul, spot on. Okay. That's what I was thinking. But there's a lot of stuff on this desk, is what you're saying. A, like <clears throat> a, a lot. lot. Yeah, a lot. So I had to make a, a decision. Okay. So I made a decision to put as much of the, the sun into the container as possible mm-hmm. and then I presented that to the family and I had I had a bit left over so you gave them you gave them what you could fit yes uh, which percentage wise I mean oh, okay there's, yeah there's uh-huh. a bit of ash there's a bit of ash there's some there's some fragments but you you have managed to fill this thing right this urn. yeah filled it to the to the gunnels okay and and, and then some and uh, and used various techniques mm-hmm. to to consolidate and um, and put as much as as humanly possible, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, um, into the into the recept- receptacle, 
mm-hmm. and I was pretty pleased with what I'd done on that fateful morning. And then um, I actually was quite... Um, I had no one to talk to about what what were the other alternatives. So, um, yeah, I um, we're kind of avoiding the icky part of this story, aren't we? You mean what you did? Yep, with the rest. Well, here, here, here's what I'm... I guess I'm going to say, what what are the um, what are the options? Like, what are your options at that point? You uh, the options were that I give the family the the the, the urn, mm-hmm. uh, and then with an extra bag of, of, of extra bits, okay. and I think that would have been on so many levels abhorrent, yeah, and grotesque, yeah, and bizarre and super weird. And some people are going to say, well, maybe you should have given the family the opportunity to sort of make that call. And I thought, you know what, I'd, I'd assessed the situation. Mm-hmm. I'd assessed the grieving mother. And I thought, look, we've done really, really well to get this much of the, uh, of the remains into the urn. Mm. And I really wanted the, the mother to feel as though she had a part of her son. And I, and I, Which she did. She did have a part. She did have son. a part. She had various parts. Um, I think she got his jawbone because I thought that was quite important. Uh, why, I don't know, but it just at the time seemed like a good idea to pop that into the canister. Hang on, are you serious that you... Did you actually put the jawbone in the, in the canister? Yeah, yeah, because the jawbone was one of the most identifiable um, parts of, of, of the person. When you say... When you say that you seal it up, how sealed up is this thing? <clears throat> Pretty sealed. No, no, no. Because if, if someone got curious and opened it and found the jawbone of their son, mm. that's that's almost worse than anything you could possibly do. Yes, I concur, Paul. But I thought the jawbone was um, was pretty... Uh, was I don't know. I, I had a choice on that fateful morning. I could choose whatever part I wanted. And I chose various parts. And I'm sounding like a complete psycho here. But... Um, yeah, I I just did what I what seemed right. So it was quite interesting. It was an interesting exercise in um, in body um, body sort of sort of almost a hierarchical thing where I chose various parts. But I was also choosing parts. Might I add? Um, it was a little bit. I won't say it was a jigsaw puzzle, and I won't say it was a Rubik's cube. But I will say that it was quite a challenge. Uh, putting as much of this person into a very, very tiny container. It's a story that we discussed at some length, Paul, but like a lot of these stories, um, you know, if we were to discuss chapters and then we sort of delve in behind, I mean, obviously more information is going to be brought to the surface, isn't it? You know, I'm sitting here and it's sort of... I mean, I can remember the time of day it was and I remember the sun coming in and thinking this is very, very surreal. Yeah. Um, So... You know, these events, um, everything I've said to you over the years, I mean, obviously there's going to be more... It's like people that undergo um, hypnosis. You know, that the purpose is to, is to bring more and more information to light. And this is a form of, I guess, uh, I won't say therapy, but, um, you know, it's, it, it does certainly, bring up yeah. things from the past that, that mm. I may have repressed. Um, and that's certainly one of these... This is one of these things that I... You know, we've put it out there, but um, I'm not overly um, happy with so, what I did, but I 
yeah, I did what I didn't. And 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 to all the listeners that are waiting for the big finale, what did John do with the rest of the bones? Is that the big question? Do you think? I think that might be the big question. Yeah. So the answer to the big question um, is that, I mean, I'd like to say that I just popped them back in a box and left the box somewhere in that place and then eventually years later someone Mm. maybe found it and thought what's this but no i actually um i got rid of the uh the excess bones i actually disposed of them disposed of them um with with great um with great sensitivity might i say but i had to weigh up a lot of things that day and uh and that i did and uh that's the story so yeah so you got rid of the rest of the body the mother got the mother got a sealed urn with some remains of a body she never found out i mean look i guess the thing that people are going to be grappling with is if you are grieving and your son died during a foreign conflict and his body was treated extremely disrespectfully and very badly and all she wanted was some sense of normalcy and closure and you gave her normalcy and closure you would have dealt with a lot of, I mean, a lot of people in Australia, a lot of funeral homes would have been dealing with the bodies of people who fought in, you know, kind of uh, not entirely approved overseas conflicts and who had families over here and who wanted to, you know, the the bodies and the remains to be settled here. So this is something that would have happened across Australia, I'm guessing a bit, because mm-hmm. Australia is, you know, there's a lot of immigrants here. Um, yep, yep. So I'm, I'm really curious as to see how, how other funeral homes handle these situations, because, I mean... I'm just sitting here going, if I had a son who died in a, in a war overseas and his body came back in that state and I had someone call me and go, okay, let me just describe to you what I've got here. What do you want me to do with this? That would do so much damage to me psychologically. I think I would almost rather just be given an urn, no questions asked, and be given the urn by a person who clearly you know, is affected by this. And then, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say, Dad, is I think you kind of did the right thing or at least a version of the right thing which is yeah. you know but mm. but you're saying this affected you quite, oh, look, quite um, deeply I'm, I'm look I'm conflicted mm. to this day mm. about what I did um, however I did it and I am happy to uh, you know to cop a bit of flack um, but most of the in fact I think all the listeners do know me and they know well they know us pretty well by now Mm, and your intentions. And yeah. my intentions. And I've always had the best intentions. And um, I did what I did. Um, but look, let's face it, Paul, there are many situations in life, uh, particularly with some of the terrible things I've seen. Um, and that's the thing about viewings, for example. You know, if the body has been disfigured or dismembered or sections of the body have never been able to be retrieved, um you know, at a certain point, you say to the family, "Look, you're not you're not going to see. It's not suitable." Yeah, and um, you're not meant to know exactly. You're not what meant happens. to know, and and, no. and 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 you just don't want to know. And I, if you know, if something traumatic happened to me, uh, like um, in a terrible accident, I would not want um, any of my loved ones, let alone the poor emergency service people. I wouldn't want anyone to see, and because it's just so, you know, and that it comes back to all these shows um, where people have terrible accidents and people laugh at it. I find it, I find it offensive, but that's me because I can't, I just can't hack it anymore. 
I, yeah. don't, I just do not have. I've reached my limitation. As Dirty Harry used to say, a man has to know his limitations, and by golly, I know mine. And if I see... Um, I told you, Paul, about that time when I was with all my friends in Thailand. We were all on motorbikes. Mm-hmm. You recall that story? We came across that horrendous fatality. Yes. And I said to all my friends before we got there, a girl, her back leg had gone, got caught up in the back wheel, and it was, it was, it was fucking atrocious. And I said to all my friends, when we drive slowly past this accident, mm. please, please, no one look at it. And every single one of them took my advice, except guess who? Who? Me. Wait, you looked? I had to look. And I'll tell you what, that fucked me up. Okay? I broke I broke the golden rule. And that was that was good in a way in that I realized that's the last bad thing I've ever seen. And I just and it was so it was shocking. Yeah. Like I've seen some bad shit. I'm glad my friends didn't but i for some reason or other you know mm-hmm. the, the the ex-police officer thought whatever and you know and i just realized at that point that i just can't hack it and now if i i was coming home a few two weeks ago did i tell you and the listeners i came across a motorcycle accident um i don't recall yeah no it was um two weeks ago and i i it was it was depressing and um fortunately there was a wall between me and the 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 rider happened yeah. on the Carl Expressway over just above the ferries down at Circular Quay. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I knew there was a guy on the road. I knew there was a motorbike. I knew that he hit this wall. There were numerous emergency service personnel there. They'd blocked the entire road off. It's about 9.30 in the morning. I was coming back from my swim and run. And, you know, I just felt that I'd, you know, I just know that I've reached my limit. Yeah. I can't... Um, you know, and I, and I wonder what I would do if I came across someone that had, um, you know, look, obviously with CPR and all that sort of stuff, um, I I wouldn't hesitate to get in there. But boy, boy, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how I'd react these days to, to all the gore. So, yeah. Well, uh, I, I think I speak for my... I think I speak for all the listeners and certainly myself when I say thank you for sharing. And I think it was really interesting hearing, you know, hearing the story behind the story in the book... Uh, which has given me an idea, which uh, we can we can talk about later. But I think it's pretty amazing. So we'll talk about that later. Dad, thank you so much for sharing your stories again. We really appreciate it. Um, and to everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, if you have any questions you want to ask Dad or myself for this week's episode of Loose Ends, which we record every Thursday and, prog- and we pop out every Friday, make sure you shoot a message across at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash loose units. We love and miss you all terribly. And we'll see you all later this week for more Loose Units. Bye. Bye-bye. Do you want to say bye-bye again? <clears throat> bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye. Paul? Bye-bye? Paul, bye. Yeah. Bye. 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 <laughs> Stop saying bye. <laughs> oh, shit. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.